Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. City of Chronicles is a Mia Chronicles production. Welcome to another episode of the Seria Chronicles, and I'll be your host for today. I'm Mina Rizuki, and as always, I'm joined by Nikki Bandini as we slowly watch to see whether our new prime minister is still the prime minister. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Nikki, people, uh, someone asked me if we had turned into a political podcast, and, I um, <laughs> and I was like, Jesus, we were just talking about a letters, you know. Um, <laughs> but how was your week? We could get into a whole messy spot if we started too much about touching too much about the Italian politics, to be honest. So. Oh, God. Can you imagine if we started there? Yeah. Um, my week's been okay. It's been busy. Um, do you ever get to the start of a week, Mina? And it's like the last week, like if someone asks you about it and your mind's just completely blank, like I can't even think what happened last weekend. I, I did have some time away from work on Saturday night because my friend turned 40 and she had a Halloween themed birthday party, which was a lot of fun. Had to catch up on some city afterwards. I'm going to honestly be honest. I've slept about three hours in the last four days and not because of any exciting reasons, but because <laughs> I, um, I was talking to some people and they told me to watch Drive to Survive. Ooh. It, it's basically like this project going forward and, and I was like tasked with watching it. I got so obsessed that I think now I'm going to be a Formula One journalist. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm, Mina. Like, I'm already on season three, Nikki, and I only started it like five days ago, okay? Like, this just goes to show you, like, I've become, and I've already developed my heroes and devils, like, who I think is an insignia, oh who I think is an awesome, you know, like, and, and I'm just like, when I grow up, I want to be a Formula One journalist, and I was like, oh, Mina. <laughs> When you started saying that, my brain, just like you started saying, so now I've decided I'm going to be a Formula One. And my brain, for some reason, preempted driver. And I was like, me, it's going to go drive in Formula One. Oh, my God. I, you know what? Yeah. I, here's the thing. When you watch a drive to survive. No, okay. she's like, yes. 
I, I did think like I could totally do this, right? Like, like I'm, I'm really fast and stuff, and I love to take people on, and yeah, I get into trouble and stuff. And I thought I could totally do this, but I genuinely thought each race was like twenty minutes, yeah, because obviously that's how it looks. Okay. Oh God, no. So then I started watching like Mexico yesterday, and I was like, this is two hours. <laughs> I can't do this for two hours, like. And then, because you're supposed to be small and tiny and I was like oh my god I'm tiny right like I'm like mm-hmm. a whole one six three centimeters but yeah I can't be the driver so I'm gonna have to be a formula one journalist you know <laughs> all right well everyone enjoy Mina while she's still here with us we only have her yes. for so long <laughs> exactly after that guys it's no longer Raphael Leal but hello Max Verstappen okay <laughs> We should actually probably talk about what is my current job before I leave it. <laughs> yes. Um, Why not? Yeah, go on. So guys, this full episode is 100% free. We do try to do this at least once a month uh, just to show you how entertaining you are and hope that you will sign on board. Um, so full episode is 100% free in our main podcast feed. Subscribe to our Chronicles to Fosi Patreon membership at steadyourchronicles.com forward slash Patreon to get all full weekly episodes, bonus member only episodes, as well as access to the full back catalog of our past weekly and bonus episodes. It was really awkward, actually, because I'm going to start off with Torino Mila, because this game was at the same time as Mexico, and I was like, I've got to watch this. So I I had an eye on both of them, but actually I did end up being really taken aback by Torino's performance and I got really into it. So maybe I still do love football. Um, and um, it was a, it was quite surprising. Torino hadn't, in the last six matches against Milan, they haven't even managed a victory, hadn't even managed a goal. And at home, they've only scored one goal at most in their matches. And yet this is the first time they've scored two, defeated a big team in Milan, and this is bizarre because I remember Ivan Juric speaking after the loss to Juventus and he was saying that, you know, he realizes that his team just don't have the, the right quality that he's looking for, but they're just going to keep working harder and harder. And since then, I thought, oh, well, if he doesn't even believe in his team, then I don't know if it's got to take all this hard work to get this team functioning. And then it's been two amazing results for them against Udinese and obviously against Milan being the most impressive. Is this just an off day for Milan? Because it just kind of seemed like they weren't interested. Yeah, well, I mean, let's let's start quickly with with Torino, just because I was I was thinking about that as you were talking, and like they before the Udinese win, they'd gone five games out of win, and four of them were losses. But the thing is, like the devil's always in the detail with these sorts of things when you start looking at runs like that, because in that five game run, they lost to Inter one nil, they lost to Napoli fine, and they lost to Juventus. So like it wasn't like just any five games. They played those three teams, and they played Udinese right after to beat them. They've actually had a pretty monstrous sort of run of games in terms of the difficulty level. And, and to come out of that, I guess, psychologically unscathed is, is, is quite something. I'm, I'm wrestling with this Milan performance, to be honest with you, Mina, because I feel like I've, I've seen some people writing about it, talking about it and presenting it as if it was like, oh, where did this come from? Like Milan suddenly playing a disappointing game. And to be honest with you, like, I don't think it's either here nor there. I don't think to me that this is like secretly they've been terrible all the time and they're about to be awful for the rest of the season. But I also just don't think they've actually been that good this season. So this is almost more just like law of averages catching up to them. Like you can't get away with playing at this level and expect to win as often as you are. You can still win a lot, but you're not going to win every week. And I think 
it felt like just a bit of a sort of reality check. Sure, you know, you could play this same game a few times. Maybe they wouldn't always lose it because look, if Rafael Leal scores in the fourth minute like he should, that was already like his second chance by the fourth minute, actually, I think. Then you get a whole different game of football. But they didn't have, they didn't show much after they fell behind, um, after Torino scored those two goals. I, I felt like the... There was a real lack of order in midfield. I know, I know you want to talk about Frank Kessier and I, I think you're, you're right too. But of course, there was also um, no Ben Acer in this game. And I think that when Ben Acer is missing in this midfield at the moment, you really notice it um, just in terms of construction. Because Sandro Tonali can be, he can be a one-man army sometimes. He had that sort of performance in midweek um, against Zagreb. But he's not able to carry this team on his own all the time. And, and Ben Acer is, is quite different and quite more ordered, more structured than, than Tonali. Tonali's a bit good chaos sometimes. And I think he was really missing this game as well. Can I ask why he didn't start the match? Is there a specific reason? Um, I think it's a fitness issue because, and I think this is like, a, to some extent, there's a bit of a classic sort of, a classic sort of end of Champions League group stage scenario going on, which is that, and it's not entirely classic. It's classic in one sense. It's also not classic because this season we've jammed the entire group stage into about five minutes because apparently we'll have to do a World Cup in November. Um, <laughs> don't know who's going to that. Not sure. Um, but so, um, so the, um, the Champions League has back to back to back. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I honestly think Milan as a team altogether had a bit of a, all right, we've had an important game on, on, was it Wednesday or Tuesday? I can't remember, but an important game midweek. And we've got another important game coming up next midweek. This is a game to get through. Like we just got to get through it. And I think they were complacent probably about how much challenge Torino are going to pose them. You know, I do wonder with the side, as in they do, they do love their leaders, right? Like it was Ibrahimovic for a while. And, it, you know, it's been various different people as well. Captain Kair and... Um, I do kind of feel like it's Leao. And if he doesn't perform at the highest level, right, it, it's almost a little bit like everyone just sort of dozes off after a while, you know, like they start off really ferociously. Everyone looks pretty good. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't score the chances that he's supposed to score. And then you see the likes of Diaz dropping off and everyone, Teo Hernandez looking like he's not that bothered. I don't know whether this is an off day in the sense that I can tell you it's an off day in terms of mentality and attitude. What we know or what we've learned from Milan is that they're ferocious in the duels and that's how they've been winning their their games. And that especially showed, for example, against Inter. Again, mm-hmm. they could have lost that. They could have drawn that match had Inter scored their goal at the end. There are many opportunities that I told you that for me, I felt like it was a kamikaze, too many gaps, too much, too much pressure on the back line. When people ask why Tomori is is suffering, it's because, you know, again, the midfield's not doing enough work because there's not enough bodies. Mm -hmm. And so I asked about Benacer because it would have been nice if they played three. Like, it's just, it's, when you have Brian Diaz, Macias, Leao, Origi or Giroud or whoever it is that they decide to play in that, in that role. And then you have Teo, that's five attackers, essentially. And then you're asking basically these two midfielders in the middle to do everything. And that adds a lot to put on Tonali and Benacer or, or like yesterday, Tonali and Pobega. And I just, this is where I just feel like what you need is, is somebody like obviously Kessia. And I just never feel like that was replaced. And 
either tactically at times they do do that, but they certainly didn't do that. And I was surprised by the decision to not make it a dense midfield, considering you're playing Torino, a very combative and, and dual obsessed side, right? It's an Ivan Juric side. So even if they, if they haven't been thrilling you in terms of results, they're still a side that, you know, you know, is, is difficult to play against. So I'm surprised with some of the decisions. Obviously, a great layout can overcome everything, but this is the problem with him. I don't think he's a player you can depend on to always show up for you and give and leave it all out on the pitch. Sometimes he'll be brilliant and sometimes he won't. That's what you expect with creative geniuses. But actually, because I watched obviously Juve's game as well, I was really, I'm, I am always, and you, I know you're, you love him as well. Lecce's Homo, oh, I never know how to say his name, Hulmond. Mm hmm in midfield and I just feel like he's a really low cost option right and he would do such a great job if you put him alongside Benacer and Donali can you imagine just how good that midfield would work or am I just crazy but I, I just feel like you know you need another body there and I know that you're training Pobega to be something and, and he will be useful and Kronich is not exactly the guy that's gonna you know I just think get another midfielder why has that not been looked into yeah, I mean, they, they they do need another body. They do need another body. And and Hulmond, I don't know if I'm saying it either, but yes, Morton Hulmond at Lecce would certainly be a combative option, young player, someone who you think has some upside and, and some potential to, to keep developing as well, which is what they want. The squad feels stretched at the moment. It has for a while. That's not new. And and they are missing important players. Look, if, if Davide Calabria, who we're both big fans of, is fit and starting at right back, then you've got Kaludu at centre-back and you Matteo Gabi, I know he scored in midweek, but he's a very, he's a very up and down performer for me at centre back. He's not someone I feel confident in. I think his performances obviously have a knock on impact on Tomori's performances as well. Uh, not that Tomori himself is playing as well as he could, regardless. So I, there's lots of elements, but I do think you're right that there's been some naivety about that centre of midfield. You say goodbye to Kessier, fine, like that can happen. You can't keep all your players forever, but has enough been done? To, to to give some strength and depth in that position. It's looking like not right now. It's certainly how it feels. I don't think this, to be fair though, like having said all of this, I don't think that this game, and I don't know if you feel differently to me on this, Milan, like I don't feel like this game has transformed how I feel about Milan. I think this game was like, oh, well, it's a disappointing result. And I still sort of expect them to be pretty much where they have been, which is not really as good as Napoli, the team who are running away at the top of the table, but they're still good enough that I've not really got any major worries for them about suddenly dropping out of the top four is, is how I feel about them. Yeah, I know. I see that, but I, I'm not sure that I would really put my money on them to win the league again. No. I guess, yeah. And also for people who are being mean about Charles de Catellare, like just, he just arrived, like give this guy a break. It's 11 games. Don't even judge him until the, the end of the year. And even then it's, it's the first year and it's really difficult sometimes to change things when you're young. I, th I think the problem is as well, like you get a Kvarat Scalia and so everyone goes, why can't you do what that one's doing? Well, not everyone's the same. Not every setting is the same. Not every like development path is the same. That's not how it works. Yeah. Also, you're, you know, who you're surrounded by, right? As well. And, and how much you're, you're given leeway to perform like that. It's, it's a different type of game. And maybe some games suit players differently. You know, you'll see some players explode in under different coaches or under different tactics. And Ravatskelia made his match in Spalletti. More on that later, but just a quick shout out to Torino, who uh, ruined the unbeaten record that Milan held away from home. It's been amazing. They haven't like they haven't basically lost since November twentieth away from home 
uh, 12 wins, five draws, longest streak among the five major European leagues. So Torino did a great job there. And a special note to Vlasic. I mean, what, what a performance. And, and there's a different, there's a reason why Ivan Juric calls him his most complete player. Yeah, I mean, I, I said at the top, oh, it could have gone differently if Leao scored at the beginning. But also, like, let's be clear about this. Milan's one goal was absolutely a foul and should not have stood. That's also so, true. Uh, Which is weird that he said, maybe I made a mistake. I'm like, no, you really didn't make a mistake. Like, I would have gone crazy as well. Yeah. Um, Messias just grabs the defender and, and pulls him back. And, and it's mad to me that the VAR didn't have a look at that one. Yeah, look, the Torino played, played a really good game. Nice to see Alexei Moranchik having that sort of impactful performance that he hasn't necessarily had as often as people would have hoped since he arrived there. As you just said, Flasic really, really good in this game. I think, again, a bit with them, I'm sort of not sure this is a win that drastically changes how I feel about them because the problem for me with Torino is still, I don't really see where the goal is going to come from in a consistent way. And and that's a big problem for them. They, they've got lots of qualities that I admire. I, I like Juric's football, or at least I think it's an effective kind of football. Not always the most fun to watch, but it's effective. But yeah, they haven't got they haven't got the goal scorer he thinks is going to keep banging it in every week, and that in the end will weigh them down a bit. I think. Yeah, it's a difference. I do want to just quickly. I mean, although we've just sort of briefly speaking spoken about it, but um, Paul Golfari, who at the time when I was talking about Milan's uh, kamikaze football, wrote a lovely tweet telling me that I was completely right. And I love those types of tweets. Um, <laughs> but he asks, can you comment on the Charles de Catellare situation, the frustration, price and, and expectations from media and fans? Was was he brilliant at Club Rouge? Is moving to a new league such a shock? Is his family situation a factor? His exit did not seem to weaken Club Rouge. Or actually Club Rouge. Much in, in Champions League. Yeah, they've been fantastic until this last midweek mm-hmm. game. Is patience all we need? Yeah, I I think you can be generous with uh you can be generous with people. I I think like there's so many players that I've seen in my career go to a club that haven't found their feet in the first year that they're having their second year. And I, I do think we just end up, like I said before, with these unfavorable comparisons because you can point to someone else who is able to, inter- to integrate right away and, and have the impact they have. And I think that De Cattellara is the victim to some extent of expectations generated almost almost by the fact that Milan didn't sign someone else big this summer, right? Like by the fact of like there being a void and so everyone's going to point to Catalara and say, oh, there we go. Here's the one player we're supposed to be excited about. And so we expect things from him uh, right away. And I'm not saying that he is necessarily going to fix it all and be brilliant, but I think it's, it's, um, it's asking too much to expect every 21-year-old to go to a new country to play in a different league and immediately hit it off. You've had so many good players down the years. Some people like Carlos Tevez, even Cristiano Ronaldo, saying the standard of defending in Serie A was different. The way that the teams defended you was different. That you have to have a different level of of attention. Yeah, don't write a kid off. Don't write a kid off because he had a slow start. Is sort of how I feel about it. I mean, I don't know if you feel any different. No, it's exactly that. And I do think that strong midfields launch great attacks. And I think that, mm. for example, with Napoli, what they do have now is a really set midfield that combines like combative play with technical ability. 
and Milan have probably lost that a little bit. So they're asking a lot more of everyone else. And that puts mm-hmm. pressure on it, on a kid who's, who's coming in and, and trying to change all that. Club Brugge is great because the players looked for him. He was very much mm-hmm. the kid with the ability that every journalist wrote about. And I'm telling you, journalists talk a lot about the kids that come up from these guys, but none of them were as, let's say, excited about a talent as they were about Ticatelare. So to be that excited about it, there's obviously something there and we hope it will come out. But it's exactly what you said, to, to expect so much from a kid. It's It took a long time for Leao to show us everything that he had to, you know. And, and I think that, you know, not everyone can be an Mbappe straight away or whatever it is, you know. I, I, I do think like, you know, I talked about the opposite side of this with Tamari last year. Like, I do think like genuinely people don't, acknowledge enough like how big a part of that picture probably is literally just like how is that individual adjusting to living in a different country like are they happy in their day-to-day life have they made friends do they feel like they're sort of comfortable that's true. and that stuff's hard to say right like I'm not um in Decatelara's immediate inner circle so like that stuff comes out in interviews over time and maybe we'll learn more about that over time um but it's very possible that a 21 year old who's again arrived somewhere new and jump straight into the deep end, hasn't found that sort of feeling of, of comfort in his home life just yet. And that is different for everyone. Well, I mean, that's what everyone said about Messi, right? At PSG. Um, not saying he's going to be that, but just to, Zidane <laughs> took a while to settle in, you know, some of the greats. Let's move on because, well, what I wanted to do is that next week is obviously two big matches. We have the Rome Derby and mm. we have the Derby d'Italia. Um, so I think we should, we should go to Lazio next because th- this is a really bizarre game. Salernitana are just this kind of side that it's, it's impeccable. They're either, I think, well, it's incredible in the sense that they really know how to raise their game against their big boys. They obviously managed to get a two goal lead against Juventus at their home and really surprised them. And well, obviously afterwards, referees just ruined everything. But with Lazio, Lazio was so comfortable in the first half, collected already a one, a one nil lead. They were with, they are still without Immobile and they had decided not to bring on Milinkovic Savage because obviously there is a big game coming up and one more yellow card would mean he'd be banned. But then. But then <laughs> they got a marvelous goal, Salernitana. <laughs> yeah. And with Candreva. One that he was, even Fabregas applauded him for it. Stunning goal from Kandreva. They're 1-1. And then Sari decides to introduce Milinkovic Savage. It's a disaster. Salernitana get two more. Milinkovic Savage gets a yellow card who, for me, in every single way, is, did not merit that yellow card. And it means that mm. he will be missing for the Rome derby. Lazio had only conceded five goals coming into this game. They were, for me, the second best side after Napoli in terms of play, execution, understanding of their roles. And it just all fell apart. I mean, did Davide Nicola really study so well to have performed and, and, and understood exactly what destroys the opponent? Or is this Saudi's team being a little bit arrogant about who they were facing? I think it's a bit from pot A, a bit from pot B, and maybe a bit from from a third pot C as well. I mean, honestly, like, oh, there's so there's so much that goes on in like the second half of this game, particularly that I almost sort of don't know where I sort of want to to start. And I think the obvious place probably is the Milinkovic Savage part of it, 
because that's a whole fascinating dynamic in its own. And it, it kind of echoes what I was saying about where Milan sort of not focused because of their two Champions League games. But I think that Sarri himself, one of my favorite things about Sarri, he has lots of faults, but he's just such a straight talker. And I think he was really actually quite blunt about his mistakes at the end of the game. He was very angry about the refereeing, which we can get to. But he also said, effectively said, look, I got into my own head about the Milinkovic-Savage situation and going back, I wish I hadn't done it. Sometimes when you're thinking yeah. about the derby, the derby just has this power and it gets into your skin and it, it makes you do stupid things. Because in the end, if you start Milinkovic-Savage in this game and he gets booked, but you win the game, well, you get three points, which is the same that you can get from that game against Roma. Whereas if you lose this game and then you don't have him against Roma, you've lost both ways, right? Like you, you've, you've, you've done yourself in both directions. And I think his sort of candidness on that point, I really admired that like literally saying like the derby got into my head. Like I, I wish it hadn't, but it did. Yeah. I, I think that the whole game is essentially like, it's like a little mini psychodrama that Lazio had because they weren't great in the first half without Milinkovic Savage and Immobile. You wouldn't expect them to be, but they're one nil up. They're in control. Vecino should score at the start of the second half. He doesn't. And then Candreva scores this great goal. And, and this comes to the merits of Nicola and Torino because he said afterwards, you know, this was, we literally worked on this move on Friday in training. Like this was the move we worked on. And he changed his formation, right? Because Candreva normally starts outside on the right-hand side and he moved him inside to be the Mezzala. And he had, um, oh, the Mazzocchi move outside to be the, the wing back. Yeah. And it was like Candreva knew exactly where to be between those two Lazio defenders. He found that space and he punished it perfectly. So that was a planned move, good coaching, good execution, success story. The second goal, which is before Milinkovic Savage gets booked, feels a bit more coincidental. It's a cross goes in, it's badly dealt with, and Napoli can see it. And then the booking happens, and Milinkovic Savage is completely within his rights to feel hard done by on this. I think it's a terrible decision. There's literally nothing he can do. He's, he's carrying the ball forward. He tries to, to lay it off and Braun comes in at such speed, arrives late. There's literally nowhere else for Milinkovic Savage's boot to go. When you watch it on a slow motion replay, sure, you can see his studs go down, but that's just because that's the way he's going. Like he's not moved into the player at all. Braun's the one who puts his foot there. So it's, it's a terrible decision. But at the moment when that happens, Lazio just completely lose their heads. I mean, that's it. Like that's the end of the game at that point because Lazio are gone. Everyone is furious. Everyone knows that Milinkovic Savage is going to be out next week. Catania nearly talks his way into a red card. The whole thing, um, Cataldi, sorry, not Catania. The whole thing just goes to pieces. And the third goal they concede is ridiculous because Diaz in the box with three Lazio defenders and no other attackers in the box. And Diaz still finds space to score because they've gone to pieces. And it's amazing because you alluded to it, Mina. They have the best defensive record in the division last year. But like actually the previous six games, to be specific about it, the previous six games, their aggregate score they had was 14-0. 14 goals scored, none conceded. And they conceded three and a half against Salernitana, who, respect to Nicola, he's doing a great job. But it's Salernitana. You don't concede three and a half to them. So it's an astonishing game of football, really entertaining as a neutral. I'm certain incredibly aggravating as a Lazio fan because the Milinkovic Savage decision was terrible. But yeah, I felt like it was a real mental coming apart for Lazio, um, which 
exploited well by Slavni Tanner, but it definitely felt more on that side of it to me than the other side. God, Nikki, that was such a good like explanation that I just <laughs> bit of a monologue. Like, it was brilliant. Like I have nothing to add. <laughs> I this is my favorite game of the weekend. <laughs> it really does seem so. Like you love this game. Like that was if you didn't understand anything, even just the tactics of Mazoki <laughs> and just explaining that you know like Candreva was a was a Matzala. The one thing that I think is interesting is you said Davide Nicola and Torino, which means that you still did a Freudian slip because obviously oh Davide Nicola. Oh my God! Sorry, <laughs> yeah. you didn't say that. <laughs> But you did end it with, this is Salernitana. I did. Sorry, everybody. But no, that was, that was brilliant. I mean, there's really very little to add because that's exactly how David and Nicola, it does amaze me that this is a a team that suffered so much against Lecce, you know, and then, and, and has suffered in some games that I just think that you're so much better than this. And then pulls out these amazing performances against the big boys, you know. It's almost mm-hmm. like David and Nicola really gives his heart out and the players just want to prove a point about who they are. So I thought that that was interesting. And to do it away from home is, is really fantastic, just, just like against Juve. But it was... A, They've won a, three out of their last four now. It's, it, that's a run. Like three out of four wins for a team like Slavni Tana. It's, it's, yeah, it's big, big results. It's funny because I, I really did, like yesterday, like last week, I was so impressed with that too. I mean, for me, like the way they play their football is really, is really fantastic. But I think what's so different with Napoli, if you ever needed another reason to believe in this team, is that they can just swap out players in the sense that had they lost Milinkovic-Savage, they wouldn't have gone to pieces in the same way that Lazio feel like they can't do anything without him. Like he is something that you have to think about. Like, do I bring him on? Do I not? Like, you're going into your head about this one player, right? And, and I know. He is a fantastic player that I would like kiss the ground on if he ever played for my team. But it, it is it is obviously like it shows the difference between the fact that there is so much depth in the way that Napoli or well, Napoli have and can boast. And that's largely done because of Spalletti, whereas perhaps Sadi hasn't yet got the kind of bench that he can rely on or feel confident in. And now it's, he's going to go into a derby potentially without Milinkovic Savage. Well, definitely without Milinkovic Savage and without Immobile. So it's going to be a tough test and I, I don't know which way it's going to go, but just the fact that they're emotional reminds me of Inter. Do you remember last season after every time that they felt like hard done by? Damn, emotional, concede more goals, fall to pieces. And that's something that needs to be addressed. Pazza Lazio. So what do you think? Can they, can they beat Roma? It's going to be tough, huh? Uh, they can. They can. It's it's hard. It's really hard timing with these we record on Mondays because of course Roma hasn't played yet this week and that can uh, can affect all sorts of things, injuries. But look, do you want to be going into the game against your biggest rival, your local rival, without your two best players? There's been some noise in the press I've seen that maybe Immobile could somehow make it back for this game, which yeah. is really unlikely to me given what we knew before about his injury. Yeah, it's it's. It's asking a lot to win that game without Milinkovic, Savage or Immobile. It, it is. I mean, of course, you've still got Luis Alberto. You've still got um, Zaccagni, who, who did score, you know, is playing well at the moment. You've got Pedro. But no Milinkovic, Savage, no Immobile. It's, it's a worse team for sure. Well, it remains to be seen what happens tonight as we're recording this. It will be tonight that Roma play Verona and uh, we'll see what Jose Mourinho has in store for us. Can I say one more thing really quickly? Do Salernitana, just how cool was it seeing Frank Ribery in the oh, dugout, like as a coach now, like jumping in, like grabbing people. He was so involved. <laughs> like I was really, I was, I was digging that as well. Yeah. I really feel like he's found a certain level of peace at that, at Salernitana and he just, he's really enjoying, yeah, it seems like he's really enjoying his role. 
I feel like you're now Selene Tana fan, but I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, that is that maybe, is your we'll team. <laughs> I, I, I really enjoy Lazio this season too. Like that's part of why I think I was so into this game is I actually really was enjoying Lazio before this. And then, yeah, interesting, interesting teams. Now, after, obviously, there's the Derby d'Italia as well coming up, not just the Rome Derby. And Juventus and Inter both played on Saturday. Both got their wins. Someone said they had similar journeys in the league, but two points do separate them. Now, Juventus will be hosting Inter in this uh, game. It'll be interesting to see, you know, who who has really recovered in Serie A because we know that Juventus hasn't recovered as a team considering their abysmal performance in Europe. Now, I, I got a little bit emotional watching Inter Sampdoria because I just, I mean, for me, Bastoni's launch, I mean, if, if anyone needs to know, Inter won 3-0 against Sampdoria. Stankovic was there, obviously a legend. Beautiful banners um, from all the Inter fans to welcome him, one of us all the time. He remains one of the most brilliant players to have ever played for the Nerazzurri. His team put a great fight, Sampdoria, but, but watching the goals, you know, one was obviously from a corner and they are very good at that, actually. They are only uh, third to Napoli, who are the best from set pieces. Juventus are second best into third best when it comes to set pieces. So very dangerous in dead ball situations. And um, and then, of course, there was that second goal where Bastoni manages a beautiful launch forward. Barella's control and first touch is nothing short of exquisite. And I, it made me really sad because I just thought, how much does this player right now deserve to be in a World Cup and just shown off to the rest of the world just how great this... Mm. Everyone talks about great midfielders and there are there are so many youngsters out there that deserve so much praise. I know as Jude Bellingham, everyone talks about Gabby and Pedri and Declan or oh, he's not really a youngster anymore. But you know what I mean? Like some great midfielders, but Barilla... Truly, he is exceptional. And I just feel like he just doesn't get enough praise. And I know that he whines a lot and he's always going up to referees. And I get, I get that he gets lots of people sort of making little quips about him, especially, you know, whenever the game is shown in England, you know, Barella's complaining again. But truly, truly, what a player and what performances he's been giving in. And I just, it's so upsetting that Italy are not, are not playing in the World Cup to be able to show off the level of, of, mm. of a player that he really is. But um, you, you've got to say. He's going to be 29. He's going to be 29 before he first gets a chance to play him man. It's oh crazy. my God. That is so, oh, that, and that's if we make it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. God knows what, what is in store for us. Um, but obviously now Inter have had the perfect October, as Inzaghi highlighted, you know, four wins in a row in Serie A. Um, some be- a beautiful performance against Victoria Pilsen to secure their their entry into the knockout stages of the Champions League, knocking Barcelona out, and a great three three win in the Camp Nou that should have been four three had Aslanic scored. Will November be as kind to them? That's a good question. Um, I I feel like Inter are playing well. Um, I I you know it's it's really hard sometimes not to just be a prisoner of the moment, isn't it? Because um, they They've just won three nil, and look, Sam aren't very good. Um, but it's not just that they've just won three nil; they have um, got through the Champions League group, which at one point looked so far beyond them. As you just said, their results for October have been have been really strong. I think it does feel like that first win over Barcelona, which was not that pretty of a win, but it was it was a win. 
shifted something for the team's mentality, let them have a little bit more self-belief. And since they picked up that self-belief, they've been feeling a bit more able to go and, and take these games on. But, I, you know, this was, this game, the Pilsen game, there have been some flashes of, I guess, what I think of as like the good Inzaghi Inter. Like the good Inzaghi Inter play some really like attractive football, right? It's not just Berello, although his goal was, was beautiful. Like I was really, I don't know, it's... Edin Dzeko is a bit of a vibe for me at the oh. moment, Mina. Like I just enjoy watching him link up play. Like I just, he's, he's got something that's, that's fun to watch about him as well. They're, they're, they're a team that just sort of seems to, to move really fluidly and some of the quick passing moves up front just yeah. look really nice. Right now, I don't know. Right now, I think they're probably playing the second best football in Italy after event after Napoli. No. Oh, Freudian slip um, again. Do I think... <laughs> I know. I just can't say the right teams. No, you're just thinking back to 2019. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Now, you know, there's, there's some less good stuff going on as well. Um, Romelu Lukaku reported to have, um, well, there's some ambiguity about it, to be honest. And there's been some people suggesting it's a fresh injury, but from what I'm hearing, it sounds more like what he's actually done is just aggravated his hamstring injury a bit, which he already had. And I, think that's a really worrying sign from that point of view because hamstrings that get aggravated and don't heal quickly tend to become nagging problems that last forever. Well, not forever, but for a long time. And I can well imagine him not wanting to miss World Cup, going to the World Cup and, and playing through it, even if he's not fully fit and making it even worse. So there are some things that are less positive for them. And I, I do think that was one of the causes for optimism was, hey, in that Pilsen game, he came back and you thought, oh, it's just like old times and, and this will work for them. But no, I, I think Inter are playing well. And I think there's more, if you want to draw the contrast of Milan, who we were just talking about, there's so much more balance in that Inter midfield. And that's without Brozovic, who's still to come back. So to me, there's a lot more grounds for optimism about this Inter team than there are is than the Milan team that I've just said, I think still think will be in the top four. So that's how I feel about them right now. Uh, I agree. I think it's interesting that you bring up Brozovic, but just before that, I, I do also want to mention Korea because uh, obviously there's a lot of chat in the sense that Inzaghi had reportedly chosen him over the arrival of Dybala um, because he believes in Korea. And mm-hmm. everyone just thinks that that's a crazy decision. Uh, and and it is. I stand by Dybala is a great player. But what Korea does give you is that ability to just bomb forward from midfield and really cover a lot of space if you are playing like in deeper, in deeper lines, um, which is an alternative. What's so good about Inter is I feel like they can take you on in midfield, they can take you toe-to-toe and and play good football, but they can also counter-attack brilliantly, you know, and that is just, you know, defend in deep lines. Okay, their defense is still needs a lot of work. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I mean, they managed their fourth clean sheet um, and Gazetta was all in about, oh my God, it's 16 goals in five games and average 3.2 goals per match. Yeah, but they also conceded six. So you, you conveniently missed that part out, you know. But they do have the ability to close up and counter, obviously also play in, uh, like you said, Dzeko and, and beautiful football through the midfield. Now, Brozovic is back for, for Juventus. But right now, Chanonoglu, Mkhitaryan and Badela are doing a tremendous job. Would you interrupt that trio right now that's doing so well in the league and, and had a great October to bring back your, your champion and leader? Or would you keep it the way it is for Juventus? I'd probably not mess with the winning formula, personally. I think Brozovic, you've got an opportunity almost now that that last Champions League game is a dead rubber. You've got an opportunity to give him some minutes in that if you want to and then still come back to the end game. Or just stick with what's working because it's been working. It's it's going to be a little bit complicated with Brozovic. I do think 
it should be a situation you can manage well because he's very, very talented. He's such an important player for them, has been for such a long time. But it is interesting that that midfield has come together a little bit in his absence and, and done well. So I think that's going to be a a balance to strike. I, I just wanted to come back on Korea mm. as well because I find the Korea thing so fascinating. Like it, it, it like puts me in mind of like, maybe like a family gathering where like there's like one younger kid and the dad's like always wants like whenever everyone else is getting like praise like but don't forget <laughs> Billy don't forget Billy he's also really like <laughs> special Korea's Korea's played really well in the last couple of oh, games I just the do you not feel like that? Yes. It's just like after Lukaku scored, everyone wants to talk about Lukaku. He was like, but don't forget about Korea. Don't forget that he did. And I'm going to Billy for the rest of my life. And that's really unfair because Kwangwangwaki Korea is not the kid. He's 28 years old. But that's just how the way he talks about him sometimes. That's how I feel about him. I'm sorry. When you have like a midfield that doesn't work well and you do have like to, to sit deep, I'm just saying, he's really good at covering that just by bombing forward from midfield. But anyway, um, yeah. he can cover those mistakes. But obviously, Inter do have a good midfield. That's something that perhaps we cannot say the same for when it comes to Juventus. But what Juve do have is great youngsters. Terrible players, but great youngsters. Mm. Like, get rid of everyone and just <laughs> shove on your academy. And maybe, just maybe, Juventus can pull something through because I, I'm, you know what? We had a question, and I think it was from, uh, God, I forgot now who it was from actually about, you know, which of the, which of the Juventus players would you have? And, and I was a little bit unfair, perhaps, on Fagioli because there's a lot of things that irritated me about him when he was in Cremonese, but. I, I probably put Meretti ahead of him. But after this match, and again, it's one match, so, you know, I, I don't know. I would put him ahead. But it's just interesting to see. And it was really, it was, again, emotional because today in Gazetta, his father had spoken about, like, Fagioli and just what a diehard Juventus fan is and, and how it's run through the family and, and how, like, the, everyone was crying and Del Piero was his idol and then it was Dybala, which made me hate him a little bit. But, you know, all, all in all, <laughs> yeah, Fagioli mm-hmm. scored the most amazing goal. Juventus were struggling um, against Lecce. They, once again, no identity. This is something that we do expect from them. No real ideas on how to go forward. Obviously, with lots and lots of injury, no Paredes, no Locatelli, no Vlaovic, obviously the most important one. Milik alone, he's not really a guy that can be a lone striker, I'll be honest with you. He's the man off the man. So for me, he needs a, a striker next to him. And they suffered. They really, really struggled. Um, luckily, Sule started from the beginning. But as soon as Fagioli came on, and then Samuel Illing junior who is right now my favorite player in the world of Kravatskelia <laughs> is everything right <laughs> and then Osman and then maybe Samuel but truly this man I mean he came on against Empoli I mean man he's a boy like he's 19 years old he came against Empoli and he was immediately so impactful gets an assist in the Champions League right actually makes it so much more interesting against Benfica in which they were just abysmal to watch no fire only three tackles managed in the first half I did put um, a, a voice note out there if you want to listen to it and then again Elin Jr. comes on and just makes an impact so much intelligence so much understanding of the game um, movement quick instinctive everything and then once again he comes on provides the assist Fagioli delivers the most impressive finish a la Del Piero. 
And Juventus get a vital three points to make it three Serie A wins in a row, three Serie A clean sheets. Again, this is not a great league when Juventus is doing this well, right? And I just have to say, like, really, next to Kostic, I like Kostic, he's a good player, but he's pretty average. I don't see him as being a Juventus player when I think of Juventus as, as the team that once had some of the greats playing for it, you know, including of the last you know nine years when they were winning the league title. He's not that level. I'm sorry, he's just not. I, I think he's very good. I just don't think he's that level. And I actually think Sam Rolling Jr. is. I mean, do you know the fight that Juventus had to get this boy to choose Juventus rather than Borussia Dortmund, where he would have had a lot more opportunities to play um, over so many teams that were tracking him? Such a player. And Fagioli, should he be playing a lot more and make it Fagioli, Miretti and Locatelli? Perhaps even Rabiot? Would you trust the kids going forward? It's a really interesting question, isn't it, Mina? Because my first thought is like, yes, please do, because the team's awful. So do, do something to liven it up. And the thing is, like, I, I, I realise sometimes, I think sometimes I'm too scathing with Juventus, like, if I'm being honest, because I think I say things like that, and, and then you could really easily counter, like, look, they're what, as you just said before, two points behind Inter at the table, right? It's, it's not it's not like they're actually miles off, off the teams they're supposed to be staying in touch with. I just, I think that Juventus have been so depressing to watch so Mm. often like they've been so like uninspiring and as soon as these kids come in it feels different it feels exciting it feels like there's some energy there and you think well why wouldn't you but of course it's more complicated than that because it's not it's not you or I Mina playing with our livelihoods it's Allegri who's got to you know think about it from the point of view of his job and him trying to make sure that he fixes things over the course of the season even if he's getting more you know more leeway than some fans would have given him He's still got to fix things this season, hasn't he? So it's it's complicated. Um, but I think you've already just said it, really. Like Ealing Jr. against Benfica, he gets the assist. And then he also, frankly, was pretty involved in the next goal. And assist again here. He played about 40 minutes. He's got two assists already. I'd put the kid on the pitch more. Like he's he's changing games for you. So why wouldn't you? Well, now he's injured for <laughs> So I, I hope we'll see more of him. Well, yes, that's true. I mean, that's another thing, you know, like this, it's just disappointing because as you, as we've spoken about, Lukaku is not going to be available for this match. Pogba, who was supposed to be coming back, has now suffered another injury and might not even make the World Cup now. Samuel Lee Jr. Mm-hmm. is out for 20 days, so we won't see him till Serie A resumes in January. So it's not going very well for a team that has half of their team, you know, half of their squad requiring treatment at the moment. But yeah, it is about maybe let's just um, let's just, you know, give these kids a chance and give them an opportunity. I, I was it's irritating with with Allegri because I do. Here's the thing, right? Like I, I I'm all right with a coach as long as he manages Europe, right? He manages to get into Europe. And I, I don't know if you remember the predecessor of this pod, but I was calling Fantonio Conte's head when Inter didn't qualify um, from the group stage. And I, and I just feel, frankly, if you can't manage it in this group stage, then you should be sacked, you know, um, for Allegri. I know the reasons are right now he's on a huge salary. I'm very disappointed in some of the performances of the team. I almost don't even know whether he threw on the kids because he'd given up or he actually had a plan. That's how much I just don't trust anything at the moment. Because to me, it just seems like he gave up, wanted to give the kids a run in, and that's what happened for Benfica. And a little bit like with Lecce, he he always said that he had planned on giving Fagioli a, a chance to play in this game. But what was so impressive about him as well is that Juventus just don't know how to hold the ball. And he's one boy that really knows how to keep hold of that ball. 
So it was really impressive just how much he was fighting physically for the team, just how much it meant to him when he was crying afterwards. And I also want to talk about the defender in Gatti because he just gets a lot of flack. But I thought, you know, because obviously of, of his performance against Benfica in the beginning and against Monza, but he was, he is really one of the few players that's showing a lot of heart at the moment. So I do think that the kids need a lot of the game. And I also want them to be played in their position. Fagioli in front of the defense and Miretti and Locatelli could then play like a more of a mezzala role. I think it would be really interesting to watch. And I don't know whether I, I, I just, without Vlaovic, there needs to be a, a striker. I just, I just honestly, I, I don't like Cuadrado. I know that he, you know, he wasn't bad in this game, but I don't like Cuadrado. I, I don't like Kostic. I, there are just so many players that I just think are uh, not really like, what's the point of McKenney starting? Poor fella got another injury anyway. And now it's touch and go for his performances for the World Cup as well. But it, it just seems like it's bizarre when the kids show a lot more heart. And I'm not expecting Juventus to necessarily show me great technique and identity, but just show a little bit more heart. And we had been seeing that. But against Benfica, it, it all trailed off again. And and I guess that will be the difference. But you would mm-hmm. imagine it would be an interwin, right, in the Derby d'Italia? They're certainly the favourites, yeah. That's what I expect. Um, but hopefully, um, hopefully, genuinely, hopefully, like the Derby d'Italia has that or about it, that atmosphere that draws best performance out of both teams, because that's what you want. You want that game to be brilliant, because it's one of the highlights of the calendar. And I want both games next weekend, the Rome derby and the Edward Italia, to be thrilling games of football. You know, just to sort of build on what you were saying, you know, like, and, and I guess to sort of evolve what I said before on, on Allegri, that there's a real question for Juventus about like what you hope for from the rest of this season now. And I think that the problem is you've got to get top four. You just do. Like financially, you have to try get in the top four. And that's the bit you can't gamble with. But beyond that goal, if you think you're not going to win the league, and they're not, I'm sorry, they're not, not unless something very strange happens in Napoli, then wouldn't the best scenario you can hope for this season be to come out of it having fully evaluated these young players and, and know what you've got? Because frankly, the team needs a clear out. It needs a full clear out. It needs an acceptance that a generation is gone and that it's time to start over. And yeah, I suppose in many ways that that would be a way that Allegri could almost save his sort of position at Juventus would be if he could come away at the end of the season saying, look, this has been rough, but I'm here to present you with the the next thing. Yeah, something going forward. Also a sustainable project for a team that has debts over 200 million and just can't afford to continue buying stars. Yeah, that keeps losing. Yeah, stars that are flopping right now. I mean, Milan are going crazy because De Catellari is not showing his true strength. I mean, how many can you say that when it comes to Juventus? Sustainable methods going forward is the way that I guess we have to look at now. Oh, and also people always ask me who's my ideal coach. I think Thomas Tuchel and all these... I don't want anyone. Zinedine Zidane is not coming, by the way. Come on. He's choosing France and he's trying to get that job. But for me, it will be Igor Tudor. So I'm interested to see if he beats Antonio Conte in the Champions League. However, before we get that, there's also another beautiful Champions League game going up and it's going to be in the San Paolo when, when Napoli take on Liverpool. But just before that, they showed us the might of Osman Kravatskelia. And everyone in between as they defeated Sassuolo in what was seemed like the world's easiest match, 4-0. Osserman with a hat-trick, Kravitzkelio with two assists and a goal and just some fantastic displays. 
I don't, I honestly don't know where to go anymore. It's just superlative after superlative. This is just, and no, I don't think this is a team that's going to fall like they usually do. Like everyone keeps telling us that they do. This is such a different team. This is so tactically intelligent. You know, it's, it's amazing because when you watch other sides, right? And then that includes some of the best, you know, like, okay, Milan, for example, Juventus, obviously not the best, but you, you wonder about the IQ of certain players. Yeah. I'm not going to go into, like, obviously with Juventus, it's pretty much the whole squad. But this team, it's remarkable how in tune they are with Spalletti and, and how they play this game just with such ambition and so much desire to continue showing what they can, to try to continue getting what they can out of this game. They're never satisfied. They're never just okay with what a 3-0 or a 1-0 or anything like that. People keep saying, oh, well, you know, they've just won midweek. They have another game, and so they'll probably take it easy. They don't know how to. Like, this has got to be the year, right, that they make it far in the Champions League and, and they can actually win the Scudetto again. Is this a team that was better than the one with Maradona? No, that's just too much, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's it's way too early to say that for certain. Um, if they get to the end of the season playing this football all the way through, then you might have to have that conversation because right now they're playing spellbinding football. Um, and, and the thing that is, boring to repeat but still true is the only reason I, I have any doubts about this Napoli team is because we've got a World Cup in the middle of the season and and everything will change on either side of that well everything can change doesn't mean everything will change but there's potential for lots of things to change when when football gets interrupted for that long league football but beyond that I, I sincerely think they are playing as well as anyone in Europe right now I really do like I and you know if, if, if you were to say to me we're doing the Champions League semi-finals and final this, this weekend and Napoli, one of the teams in it, I'd say they've got a chance with anyone because I, I don't see why this team shouldn't feel like that. They are several steps above a team like Sassuolo, which is not a big deal. Sassuolo are a mid-table Serie A team, but still the golfing class was enormous this weekend. They have got this feeling that we still haven't seen the best of them yet, which is ridiculous. Like when you see that I think this is Victor Osman's first Serie A hat-trick, I think, um, when you see that he's sort of only just back from injury and, and getting back to his full stride, when you listen to everyone saying, oh yeah, sure, Kvaratskhelia looks good to you on the pitch, but if only you saw what he does in training, you think, where is the <laughs> limit? It doesn't feel like there is a limit for this team. It's it's so good. Um, and they have already shown what they're capable of against Liverpool, a team that, and I feel like to Liverpool are in the Champions League every Flipping five minutes, yeah. so, Champions League final. Sorry, so yeah, they they can mix it. I think it'll be really interesting to see how both they and Liverpool approach that midweek game because, of course, they're both through now. And from Napoli's point of view, they're only going to miss out on first place if they lose by more than three goals. They're probably going to be top of the group. But yeah, like you, Mina, I, I sort of run out of things to say about this Napoli team. Not because I don't love watching them; they're brilliant to watch. They're so good. But what's new? Like they're just as good as they were last week and the week before that. They're brilliant. Yeah, they, they really are. I just um, there's a lot of people who don't believe in Osman, but I do want to say that like he is averaging a goal every 92 minutes. Last year was 159. This was really interesting to read. Neymar's at 91 and Mbappe's at 88. So he's 92 minutes. Think about that. Yeah, Robert, uh, Lewandowski's at 71. These guys are very much the focal point when you consider how much the goals are shared in Napoli. It's it's really stunning to watch. Now, 50 goals in 17 games. I mean, Christ, the, 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 the stuff. And you know how I said to you, Calabria is the best left back? 
I used to always say that, like Di Lorenzo, though, like now he's definitely the best left back. <laughs> like he is just again, like uh, chapeau, because it's just it's thrilling week in and week out. I just, I, it's like you said, I, I don't know. And you're right. If this was the semifinals then or finals, I'd say they have a great chance. Just to round up the rest of the results in Serie A, Fiorentina managed, I want to say their first away win this season, certainly the first one in which they've scored twice and defeated Spezia, who are usually very good at home. So that's interesting. And a brilliant performances for Italiano's men who hope to have turned or rounded off a corner that's been difficult for them. Meanwhile, Monza wanted their game to be delayed because obviously there was an incident in a supermarket where Pablo Mari, who's on loan to Monza from Arsenal, got stabbed uh, alongside a few other people in a supermarket when he was there with his family. It's an atrocious story. Since then, apparently, as far as I know, the man who did the stabbing said that he saw him and felt jealous. And that was the reason why he decided to lunge at him and then lost his mind and started doing it with everyone else. Unfortunately, a cashier did die. And so thoughts and prayers with their families. Um, it's a difficult time, but Manny will be out for two to three months. Next week, we have the Rome Derby and Derby d'Italia. We've got midweek action, so expect some voice notes. Uh, Shil, what, what do you think is going to happen in the Champions League? Well, we've already discussed Napoli. Do you think Inter will do something against Bayern? Or, or do you think they'll just not bother with this match? It's another interesting one, isn't it? Like, how do you approach it? Because it's Bayern and you don't want to take it lightly, especially because you know that if you take Bayern lightly, they could wallop you. But there's nothing riding on it. And you've got an important game at the weekend. I would not blame them for resting a lot of players. Um, just being frank about it, the Derby d'Italia is now more important for them. And so I, I would understand taking that approach. Obviously, I hope they play their strongest team and play a great game because that's fun to watch, but I would get it if they don't. It's honestly three fantastic fixtures when you think about it. Liverpool versus Napoli, Bayern versus Inter, and Juve versus PSG. I wish Inter and Bayern had more in it because we would have watched a really fantastic game. Juve versus PSG, you hope it's not a mauling. Um, <laughs> Milan only need a point against Salzburg and we certainly hope that they can manage to get that point so that they can also reach the knockouts so that Italy will have three representatives to Spain's one. I say that again, one from Spain, <laughs> three from Italy. <laughs> Jab that little, jab that wound. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what the sporting will make it to make it three for Portugal as well, which is a really great performance. Then we've got Roma. Roma against Ludogorets and Rigasa versus Fiorentina. And those are the other European fixtures that uh, Europe League or Conference League. Some new Chronicles to Fosi shout-outs. As always, I'm going to read a few names and then uh, pass it on to my co-presenter. As you know, this is a free episode, and so we hope that you've been in enjoying it so much that you will sign up and also be one of our Tufosi members uh, who listen to us talk all the time. So to those who have signed up, we'd like to say a big thank you, and that's to Liam Lines, Tala Khan, Jonathan Oak, Edo Langley, thank you so much for sending us a photo of you at a recent Atalanta home match. And Sabia Youssef. And thank you as well to Brandon Beville, Graham White, Les Coffin, Jaws, Ooh. which is, I reckon, maybe a pseudonym, <laughs> and Shelley de Blasis. Uh, honestly, Mina's already said it, but thank you all so much um, for supporting us. Um, 
we can't make this podcast without you just being frank about it. So we really appreciate all your support. And um, again, as Minnie just said, if you're listening to this on the free download and you think, oh, I've enjoyed this, we'd love to have it, have you along as well. Uh, so do pop along to seriaconicles.com for the details. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Nikki Bandini and at Mina Mizuki. And you can also follow Celia Chronicles on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Uh, that's it for this week. And uh, we'll see you in the voice notes after the Champions League games. Bye. al volo per accelerare le operazioni, la rimessa che è stata già battuta, Matic largo sulla sinistra, Matic che prova ad andare via Gunther su di lui, Matic una dribbling mette a sedere Gunther, poi la conclusione, la rete di Volpato ancora lui come lo scorso anno trova l'angolino, porta in vantaggio la Roma e tutti a fare festa sotto al settore ribollente giallo-rosso, ha segnato e la Roma in vantaggio, Verona 1, Roma 2 e la 44esimo. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round 2. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.